Hello, Steve. Hello, Dan. How's it going? I feel like we we have a race to who says hello first. I know. I, I thought I could let Dan say hello first um, every time, or we could take turns, but we'd have to have some kind of way to keep up with who says... Like, we'd have to have the calendar. We need a calendar just for who says hello first. <laughs> Maybe. There's, Maybe. There's an app for that. I'm, oh, my goodness, is there an app for that? There's... 57 apps for that, and you could ruin your life by spending time figuring out which one is best to choose who goes first, or every now and then, we could accidentally talk at the same time, and nothing changes on the planet. I think that would work. You you taught me something early on, Master. Uh-oh. You, um... Master. So... I would get into this thing with a spreadsheet where I was like, okay, I got to do this repetitive task and I'd get into it. 10 minutes into it, I realized this is going to take like three hours. And then I would sit there and think there's got to be a piece of software that would allow me to do all this in like 10 minutes. So I would spend two hours and 50 minutes looking for that piece of software. And then, you know, but you, (laughs) you would sometimes uh, hover over my shoulder and you would say, Hey, why don't you just knock this out? You know? And sometimes that is the answer. Other times it's worth looking for a tool, but that's just, that's part of my obsessive compulsive search for getting my stuff done. Well, we've, we both have that. There's no doubt about that. It's funny that ties into something I want to do at some point, if it flowed with the flow, flow into, I'm reading this book called The Organized Mind by Daniel J. Levitin. And some of you may recognize this guy from, uh, some of his other works, like uh, Your Brain on Music was his. And it's just fascinating. Matter of fact, if you will allow me, I want to read this quote, and because I, I think this totally applies to what we do. Uh, so, quoting now, For people of any age, the world is becoming increasingly linear. The word I'm using in its figurative rather than mathematical sense. Nonlinear thinkers, including many artists, are feeling marginalized as a result. As a society, it seems we take less time for art. In doing so, we may be missing out on something that is deeply valuable and important from a neurobiological standpoint. Artists recontextualize reality and offer visions that were previously invisible. That's from Chapter 8 in The Organized Mind. Now, that a lot of potential tangents off of that, you know, that little paragraph I just read. But the general idea that excites me about that First off, I tend to be excited about things that uh, lend some validity to something I already think is right, because we all want to be right. None of us want to be wrong. And uh, so I think that what we do as artists, even though both you and I, getting a bit personal for just a moment, love our, our, our fathers, who are both gone, but both of us, experienced in our family lives, this thing where we sometimes felt that our fathers didn't think we actually did anything for a living. (laughs) (laughs) You agree with that? Yeah, I would tell my dad, hey, I think I'm going to be able to pay some bills by doing such and such. And he'd look at me and he'd say, really? Like, (laughs) not that he was excited. It's like he was a little bit worried I was going down the wrong rabbit hole. Yeah, like that's okay, but that's not really work. What are you going to do for work? This is, uh, and I like what Levitin is saying here is that it's just as far as, in the sense of we need to see things from other than just straight 
linear perspective sometimes. Sometimes you need something that sort of flips an idea and makes you think at it, uh, think about it, or I like think at it, even though it was an accident. Put your thinking right at it, bear down on it, and try to see it from a different perspective. And I think, and forgive me if this makes it sound like, like I'm trying to say that I have some superpower, because I don't, but I think I'm kind of naturally good at that. Uh, or another way of looking at it is I'm distracted by thinking about things in different ways, which can keep me from doing the thing that my father might have thought was real work. So wait a minute. This this thing you read out of that book, he was saying that art is suffering maybe right now. Why? Well, he's saying uh, artists, and I get this, because uh, anybody who follows me on Facebook, and if you don't, I hope you do, uh, Steve too, and we're, we're easy to find, I post... Hmm, I guess I'm I'm in fear of getting into the uh, of the inside baseball part of almost like marketing of being a musician, but I don't see Facebook as a place to go necessarily because I I, st- I comment on other people's things and and see what everybody's doing. I see it as a place to share art, and I love that because I'm a photographer and I'm a musician and I'm a writer and all those none of those things are necessarily necessary in a society on the surface. But I think they are a part of society. It makes my day when uh, this thing that happened today, and it happens fairly regularly, as somebody writes and says, I look forward to seeing what you post on Facebook because it's a good start to my day. It makes me smile. Yeah, so like I've been walking recently because I've realized I've had a hard year and if I go out there and walk even just a little bit, I feel like 30% better mentally when I come back in the house. So you're, th- you're saying that getting this art out there and sharing it is actually having a positive effect on, on helping folks get through their day. I don't know that, and I certainly couldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's my purpose, but it, has, it gives me, <laughs> it helps me get through my day. Uh, definitely get through my day. It, it, it just feels good to have a place to share, and that's what I like about Facebook. And then when you hear back from other people that like, hey, don't stop doing this because I love it. I, I, I like this. This is good for me. That's the part where, as an artist, you can feel marginalized, like, okay, what you do is, you know, it's not in the middle of the page. It's just off in the margins and doesn't really matter. Maybe it does really matter because it, we need a break from the mundane and certainly from the the argumentative nature of, of politics and baseball team, you know, sports teams and, you know, modern culture and all those kinds of things that you're not supposed to talk about. We need a break from that. But sometimes seeing it in a different way isn't necessarily a break. It helps you recontextualize this thing and put it in perspective. Does that make sense? A little bit. I think... I mean, it, it does to me, and but that's the, I think I said this last time, and I don't know where the quote came from, but talking about music is like dancing about architecture. But, uh, or, or another great one is the, oh, it's when they were trying to decide what is considered to be pornography as far as public art is concerned, and that one judge, you may remember who it is, said, I, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I think that's uh, sometimes I feel like uh, to use a baseball metaphor, like I'll just go, I hit a home run with that one and didn't even realize that um, in photography or in music. But you, you do a lot of things that don't score, <laughs> to stick with that analogy. I think one of the good things about Facebook and social networking in general is it allows you to get some pretty immediate feedback that something that moved you in a particular way also moved someone else. Yeah, and I like that. I don't think, um, I don't think we were created to be in a alone all the time. Like I think I function best in a healthy community of people, and um, I love to share something I'm excited about and and see other people share in that excitement. But I'll tell you also. It just making something for me as a creative, just sitting down and making something, especially if it's something that's definitely within my skill set. You know, it's just something I've been doing for years. I can sit down, I can play a tune on the dulcimer and really just relax. I don't have to think too much. I'm coming up with something new. Um, that's more helpful for me, I think, than going out for a walk every day. Uh, it, it, it changes the way I look at the rest of the day, and I've seen this happen. Sometimes I think, why are we all doing this dulcimer thing all the time? You know, especially uh, you and I are doing it all the time, you know, dulcimer central. Um, why, what's the good in this? Well, I've got a long list of what's good about it, but at the top of the list... It just seems to be a healthy thing for me to participate in something beautiful. And it seems to be healthy to be sharing that with other people. And also to encourage other people to make something beautiful. I mean, right. you could get all narcissistic about it and just think that uh, all I'm doing is helping people play uh, a little instrument. But the truth is, it there is something about it that that's really healthy, that's really good to help someone create beauty and, and be a part of that beauty, there's, that's a good thing. That, that um, It's hard to find in reading a legal brief or something like that. Sure. And I don't want to become the pseudoscience that I complain about so often, but there is a lot of information about having a hobby. It doesn't necessarily have to be music, but about having something that you're trying to perfect, the profound effect that that has on the, on the mind, on the brain, and even, you know, there's some information, and again, I want to be really careful, uh, that it might help prevent, you know, mind-degenerating things happening to us as we age. It, it, it helps you lower your stress level, I'm sure of it. For me, it does. I'm sure of that. Well, see, so that's why I think, I like what this guy said, we also wrestle against that sense of feeling marginalized by, I said our fathers earlier, but we'll just sort of say society, and maybe even the part of society that, that doesn't do anything artistic. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to like create a group of others to demonize in this conversation, but I, I'm, I am thinking of folks that can't see any value in art, that confuses me. <laughs> right. The idea that and, art is a waste of time. 
and money. And see, and just by saying that, I wonder if in your head, maybe a little political cognitive dissonance kick could set up. Yeah, but you don't need to have those, this group of people taking my money and giving it to that group of people for art. Right? I mean, that's a legitimate concern in a society. Um, but art has to have a value, uh, doesn't it? We have to value it. Or um, if Levitin is correct, that there might be an important neurobiological thing that happens with art in order for people to be healthy and be able to make good decisions and have an organized mind. This book, by the way, isn't just about, or, is it really isn't much about organization, like an organization system, like David Allen's GTD, getting things done stuff. It's more about how the mind is organized and how that is reflected in larger, in the larger scheme of things, even in societies. And anyway, if societies devalue art institutionally, which I think happens some today, that I think that's dangerous. I think sensible decisions need to be made made about art, and we could bring up specific cases. And anyone who's you know remembers the Robert Maplethorpe, all that stuff with the the National Education Association, and or was that the uh, N- I, NEA and I? I remember. I think I was eleven years old or something. I think I remember some of that. Yeah, that was big. That was a that was a big deal, and I was that's about back when I used to work in public radio and I did all these interviews with people who worked for arts organizations and uh, in conservative, in a conservative town, actually. And they were like, oh, I wish this would all just go away. Uh, So I don't live my life on that bleeding edge, really, of anything. So I can only relate to it in that it becomes this big public debate. But I like to think of myself as an artist and silly, I took a video with my iPhone yesterday of my wife and my grandson blowing bubbles that speaks as loudly to me as any great piece of artwork. Right. And by that, it's not just that they were cute. I'm learning how to do this stuff. I've studied it. I've taken courses on it. And <clears throat> when I shot it and looked back at it, I was like, that 60 seconds is great cinematography. Because of the way it moves, it has emotion, it follows the, the triangle, you know, as far as composition is concerned. There's all this stuff that goes into it. And that whole process is sort of what keeps me jazzed. Uh, at the moment, I'm also going, oh, they're blowing bubbles. That's cute. You know, maybe I can make this be an artistic endeavor. Uh, I guess I should pull this back to music. Don't have to because I think it's all the same thing. But... Uh, if I'm learning a tune, if I'm writing a tune, once I, I get it mechanically, I then try to make it say something by thinking about its meaning. See, is that getting too far out? Is that, I don't know. I mean, we probably do that diff- in different ways, you know. Like for me, I, I, I took a, well, first of all, like in high school, I love the idea of seeing myself as an artist. That was a new thing. And I actually got into making these little sculptures and things. And I was trying to find my own voice because I didn't really fit in with the marching band crowd. I wasn't really taking to the classical piano lessons. Um, I was in choir, but that 
it wasn't really that I was all really into choir. I was into learning about, I was into the learning and the community and everything, but it was like, at some point I got really excited about the idea that I'm an artist and there's something unique that I get to discover that I, you know, and I get to share. But then when I got into college, I guess I started to experience, and I, I experienced some of this in high school, I guess, kind of what I perceived to be an art snobbery. <laughs> and it really turned me off. Like I remember I took a 2D art class in college and on the first day, the teacher who, you know, I made up in my mind was a very arrogant man. <laughs> he, he started to explain to us the difference between art and craft. So he would actually show something like a, you know, a painting and he would say, this is art, you know, and then he would show somebody did a copy of that. That's a craft. And then he would show a sculpture, say that's art. Then he would show a quilt and he would say that's craft. And he spent like a half hour describing to us the difference between art and craft. And in my youthful excitement, I got really mad about all that. I got just crazy about it. And so for many years, I walked around thinking, I am not an artist. I don't want anything to do with that, that label. I'm going to do what I love, which is make this music. It's, it's an adventure for me. And I'll let somebody else figure out what they think about it, you know. But now that I'm older, <laughs> I've kind of started to return to this thing like, I don't need to worry about the difference between art and craft. I think they're actually blended quite a bit, um, depending on the piece and the person and the context and the day. But um, I like the idea now of thinking... I am an artist without me having to attach all kinds of baggage to it. And I like this quote from, I think it was Bill Gates where he said something like, um, we don't, we can't connect the dots looking forward. We can only do that looking back. Well, I think for me, I don't, I don't want to think a lot about what I'm making and how it'll be perceived as art or not art or whatever. I'd rather connect those dots looking back. What I, my approach right now is I'm going to get this tool that I know well, and I'm going to have some fun, or I'm going to, I'm going to express how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling sad, whatever. I've got this body of technique. I've got a nice tool, and I've developed and honed this ability to just express the way I'm feeling through that medium. If I set up the conditions just right, I can just hit that internal button and go. Um, so for me, being an artist, I, I'm happy. I know I'm an artist. I like a lot of things about that. But when it comes down to making the art, it's it's really all about just hitting that button, getting a feeling going, and just just let it all come out, really. Wow. <laughs> That's a mouthful. I think I, I said a mouthful. Can, yeah. Can I, uh, I'm going to refer back to this book for just a second. Uh, <clears throat> and I recommend this book. <clears throat> it's really good. Uh, Levitin says that uh, the drive for negative information, which is kind of what was happening, not that you're driven for negative information, but when you were young and you heard this teacher say this, that that's, that happens more in youth. 
the thirst for knowledge changes as we get older. And there's this thing they call an age-related positivity bias that's reflected in brain scans even. Older adults activate, uh, does it, it's called the amygdala, but that the amygdala, that part of the brain, activates and lights up for positive information. In younger adults, it gets excited about negative information. And that may be part of what makes us be so adamant, you know, when we're younger about something, we're really likely to dislike the way somebody presents something, like that teacher saying that craft is bad, art is good. You're going to focus more so on his, he said craft is bad, he's wrong, craft isn't bad. When you're older, you're more likely to focus on, ooh, art is good. <laughs> and that's just a natural part of, of aging. You're aging, Steve. I am aging. I was... uh I went, I'm helping my mom do her grocery shopping. And uh, so I've been doing this for about a year now. Yesterday, we went to Aldi's, which is, it's kind of, it's uh, it's fun. Like ev- Aldi's, they have a, a lot of mostly store brands. They do things different. Like um, you, put a dep- you put a quarter in to get your cart outside and you get your quarter back when you take the cart and and put it back where it goes. So they don't have to hire somebody to manage carts. The whole place has a lot of things like that. And they also, they they seem to treat their employees better in some way. So it's, going there is really cool. Like the other people that are there, you feel like you're part of some cool movement or something (laughs) like that. But what I noticed as I started looking, there were a number of parents in there. There'd be like a mom and a dad and a baby. And I was looking at the moms and the dads, and I was thinking, these people look the way I feel like I look as far as age goes. But I realized I am not that age anymore. Like these moms and dads with kids, I used to think of that as that's what older people do, you know, when I was young. Oh, my goodness, that's true, yeah. So now I'm walking around this Aldi's and I'm thinking, I, I know that, you know, I'm only 41. I'm in, I'm in the prime of my life, but <laughs> I'm older now, you know, and um, it gets you thinking about art. Like, okay, what do I want to say? Like what you were saying a minute ago that I was actually thinking to myself, I don't know that I do that. I think I do. I mean, just yesterday I was thinking, what can I do? You know, what do I, (laughs) how many decades do I have left to be productive in this field? What can I do that's different? Can I break some ground, you know? And and, uh, I, I guess I do think about that more than I think I think about it. Well, perhaps there's a struggle that's going on within you that goes on within all of us where there are programs and things that we've been given and some of it that came from uh, our – it's safe and very fair to say that your dad and my dad were very blue-collar people, very very much blue-collar workers. And, and, and from my family, he was only one generation literally off the farm. You go back another generation and they're all dirt farmers in Arkansas. That's where I – that's, you know, that's my lineage – and there were no artists that I'm aware of that anybody's ever talked about. Maybe there were, and they were like, hey, we don't talk about them. <laughs> well, yeah, there's like my great-grandpa, and you're like, well, what happened to him? And there, well, actually, it was my great-great-grandpa. And all the only information you get is, well, he was kind of sorry. 
you know. <laughs> and you look up, yeah. you look that up online. You know, what does that mean to say somebody's kind of sorry? You know, and it's like nobody said he, he was an artist, but in the back of my head, I'm like, that guy must have been a fiddler. You know, <laughs> he must have been something. Yeah, there was a saying that I do not remember exactly. I, I think it involved bad language anyway about the value of a musician. <laughs> I remember a grandfather saying one time, uh, he was laughing about it, and he was telling me jokingly, but those kinds of things sort of shape who you are, and there can be this battle that's going on within us as we age and maybe move towards the wanting to express ourselves because time speeds up, and I don't know that I can explain this like I've heard it explained well to me, but you, everyone knows that that two weeks that you're at summer camp when you're 14 feels like a long time and it's life-changing and all this stuff happens. When you're 40 and you go back to summer camp, it's just boom, it starts and it's over, you know, whether you're teaching or whatever. And as you age, things get faster and faster. And, and one of the theories about that is that it's because time doesn't, in our minds, we don't reckon the length of something. We just live in the now. And for the eight-year-old, They've only lived eight years. And so that's the entire length of their life. And so therefore, does that make sense? It's almost for the like 60 it's year a old, percentage. they've lived 60 years. <laughs> yeah, well, for the 60-year-old, it fits in the same box. That 60 years fits in the same box, and it's zoomed from one end to the other. And the box is the same size for the eight-year-old. Does that make sense? Uh, it's kind of like it's a... It's a variable. <laughs> my my now is a percentage of my total experience. So the older you get, I don't know. No, that would be the opposite. I have yeah, it's no kind of the idea. Opposite what you're saying. I have no idea yeah. what you're think saying. Think about it like a think about it like a box. <laughs> I know what a box, like a box is. All right, you got a box that's a foot long, and inside this foot long box, you're going to put your ten years of life, and so. Uh, let's do 12 years of life so we can do inches. Let's be empirical. So we, and, and each one is an inch. Well, to walk two inches is going to take, you know, this much time. It's a farther distance to get from one side of the box to the other. Now, if you've lived 20,000 inches and they all fit in that, the inches are closer to each other and therefore time appears to go faster because our mind walks at the same speed. You know, I'm going to have to get that book. I will have to buy the book. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Not completely sure this is in this book. That's some other stuff. But it's. Um, I just brought that up because you were talking about the reckoning of this stuff and that this battle that goes on, at least with me, and I can't speak for you, but I think we've talked enough that I know that you sort of battle that as well. We sometimes talk about imposter syndrome. If somebody asks us what we do, you're really comfortable talking to me right now, pretending like nobody's listening, right. and we hope they are, saying that you're an artist. But I bet there's no one you'll meet today, even if you met a bunch of people, that says, what do you do? You'd go, well, I'm an artist. <laughs> right. Well, what I do, like at the airport, if somebody says, what do you do? Um, it's not, I, it's very often I'll start with, well, I'm, I'm primarily an author. You know, and then I pause for a second and then I'll say, of instructional material. And then I'll <laughs> pause for a moment and I'll say... Uh, to help people learn to play music better. And then I shut up, you know. Oh, that's, I need to memorize that. I've been saying for a while, and I, I've become too comfortable with it, saying I'm a self-unemployed musician. Yeah, you say that a lot. I've heard that. But maybe that's confusing to Well, people. it's almost, we're a, here's the fundamental fear. 
we're afraid of being labeled as someone who wastes their time. <laughs> right. Yeah. And time, as we get older, it feels like there's less of it to waste, but we value the artistic side more and more. That's the struggle that I'm talking about. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And um, that's all. I wanna, uh, yeah, we're 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 getting down to just like a few seconds. Did left we both just look at the clock? Is that what happened? No, I've been looking. I was looking at the clock a while back because I love. I really love this conversation, and it's exciting to talk. See, about, we could go but, another half hour, right? Oh no, yeah, but I have no doubt. doubt. There's somebody out there that's thinking, please stop now. I want to say this though, and this might be alienating, and that's not what I want to do. Oh, this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Set your set your uh, heights. Set, yeah, lower lower expectations. It changes your life when you begin to value your art. Now, you may not want your life changed, so you don't have to do anything. You're happy doing what you do. For me, I find that it's sometimes I'm not. I struggle with it. I want it to be better. And I find that as I value my art, it changes my priorities. And it eliminates things that really are waste of time, uh, wastes of time, like television watching and petty conversation. Now, I should be careful because some people's petty conversation is other people's relating to other human beings. And I know I tend to like a heavy conversation. <laughs> yeah, cover like your butt there, one. Dan. Yeah, I'm trying to be careful. But uh, I think if you really do value your, your art, value it and do the things you need to do to, you know, re- within reason to, uh, to get better at it. And it makes life better because you're kind of making life better. <laughs> I think so. I think that um, it's a necessary, and I'll tell you this too, I don't like this idea that art, and I've talked about this before, is just dance or painting or whatever. My dad was was growing in his art as far as using a metal lathe. He was really honing a skill. I guess somebody would call it a craft, but my dad was coming up with ideas for inventions on the spot I mean I would even say an accountant there's an art to that but um, there's something about this yes there's an art to that oh my goodness there's an art to that there's something about all this um, that uh, I'm going to keep thinking about my my art my accountant is an artist (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's right you better keep that to yourself I know I hope he's not a con artist hey Dan we're done I love you see ya Life is good.